When I became a parent, I suddenly became a lot more aware of our world, our environment and what I was doing to ensure the air my children were breathing was safe. There is increasing evidence that the cleaning products that we have used in our homes for generations contain toxins that are polluting the air, which is why I'm delighted that this episode of The Parenthood is brought to you by Tincture, natural cleaning products free of these potentially harmful toxins. I've got to say, I've used the products myself and I'm a convert. Not only do they smell amazing, but they clean as well as anything I've used before. Made with 100% natural essential oils, botanicals and silver, they use nature's ingredients to ensure our homes are not only clean, but safe. Tincture want us to treat their beautiful hexagonal antimicrobial bottles as implements, refilling them from glass bottles that are easily recyclable. Clean, safe homes, less plastic, less waste. It's a win-win. So thank you, Tincture. To find out more, have a look at tincturelondon.com and use the code PH20 for 20% off your purchases. Hello and welcome to The Parenthood. Mother's Day is a big day in the Parenthood calendar and we thought long and hard about a topic and guest that would celebrate and allow our listeners to reflect on what it really means to be a mother. At the root of our role as a parent is talking, the ability to communicate with our children and remind them about what really matters in life, what it really means to be a woman. So with me today, I've got Emma Cannon, fertility expert, author, acupuncturist, mother, and all-round wise woman. Emma, thank you so much for joining us today. My pleasure. It's lovely to be here. My favorite subject. (laughs) So historically, it really struck me when we were thinking about what to record. Um, I think that historically there's a lot of negativity around being fertile. There's an idea that fertility is dangerous. There's the sort of shame of the period, the perceived vulgarity of the word vagina, the message that it's irresponsible for girls to get pregnant and the onus is on them to prevent that. Um, I, I want One of the phrases you use that I really liked is, as you said, being a woman in a female body was something to be overcome rather than valued. Yeah. This yeah. is a big issue, isn't it? It's a big issue. And, and, and I really did feel growing up that it was, you know, that, that, I, that we didn't want to celebrate being a woman. We wanted to try and be a bit more like men and, you know, get accepted and into all the places that men, you know, the roles that men had and things like that. And, and that's fine. That's one thing. But it's like part of, of doing that, we lost a bit of our femininity, I feel, and, and also had to hide a lot of things. I mean, actually, if you go into a big corporate company now, if you're a man, if you've got all your pictures of your family on the table, that's a fabulous thing and he's seen as a kind you know and loving man but a woman it sort of slightly diminishes you almost I think in those corporate settings so there's there's still a lot of of conflict and contradiction around that I think and and Um, you know periods as well for sure and when you were growing up did you because I definitely didn't question that I sort of thought oh well they must be right we must be you know be slightly ashamed of periods and we must make sure we don't get pregnant you know I never questioned how unfair it was it's kind of now that I'm 40 and I have a daughter and I think that's unfair 
it's just not right. Yeah, exactly. And and I think we are moving more into a time where we're able to to celebrate, hopefully, you know, um, being feminine, a, you know, a lot more openly. And and there is a more open conversation, but slowly, slowly. I mean, I I think I've got a slightly distorted view because I talk about periods all day long, um, and I'm very open to my child with my children about it. Yeah, but certainly my mother actually didn't really talk to me about periods. Luckily, I'm one of five girls, so I grew up in a house full of girls and. Somebody always had a period in our house or a broken heart. <laughs> so <laughs> there's not much I don't know about women's bodies and emotions, really. And you say that we're sort of noticing this a, a bit more and it's possibly we're a bit more open about it. But at the same time, we're experiencing this sort of um, epidemic of perfection with social media. And there is, on the other hand, a really strong voice that women have to look a certain way and fit into a certain mold, which is often unrealistic and and often not very good for women's health yeah absolutely I mean there's no room for periods in the perfect world really are there um and and I um, actually just wrote an article about this wellness or illness because a lot of what's being touted on social media at the moment as wellness is really so far removed from what I consider wellness um and um a a lot of those girls who heavily work out um don't have periods at all um and probably are quite pleased about that you know but actually in terms of their long-term fertility it's a disaster so yes at the same time we are being more open about it but at the same time the problem is getting you know there's the the polarities are getting bigger i think i know i was just with having coffee with a group of of girls and we're talking about a sort of well-known fitness sort of instagram star and they were saying my god her body is just ridiculous but it is actually i'm sure if you looked at her bmi it'd be well below what is considered healthy yeah and unlikely to have proper periods you know um and I, this is this is a, one of the biggest areas of of, of um, growth in the clinic is that i just see this more and more um and quite often the, the periods stop when they change their diet dramatically or they increase their exercise and the body fat goes down so we've established that it isn't fair that we do need to have a I think more honest conversation you know I think as as parents I feel a lot of pressure to be a really really good and thoughtful mother and to have the conversations that maybe didn't happen in my generation um so how are we going to change this how are we going to ensure that our daughters grow up in a world in which they don't feel ashamed about the fact that they are female and the kind of the things that go along with that I mean my instinct is that the first you know conversation you have with your daughter when she's still little is about her body and I still feel that there is a bit of a weird relationship with the word vagina I get asked so many questions well what do you call a girl's anatomy I'm like well it's called a vagina people have no problem saying the word penis or willy you know but with with a little girl people are often shocked when I refer to that part of the anatomy as a vagina but I think we probably need to get over it don't we and definitely need to get over that I mean I always use proper terminology and and um I think that's really important and also This subject is fascinating. You know, the relationship that you have with your body is going to last you a lifetime. In fact, that's the only relationship that's going to last you a lifetime. Relationship you have with yourself and with your body. So I really encourage my children to be curious about it. And there's a lot of talk about educating children about this in school. They already are educated about it. So I've heard in the sort of fertility circles, oh, we've got to talk to our children about their declining nature of their fertility. You do learn that. 
It's not so much that. Obviously, that's important. It's about what, how much value we place on that. Um, and value is different from education because you can educate somebody. You can educate them about drugs and things like that, but it doesn't necessarily go in. It's about value. So if, if you uh, create a sort of uh, curiosity around the body and if you um, develop that relationship with the body by, um, by teaching them how it works and you know, getting them to observe it themselves, then I think you, you cultivate this curiosity that can last a lifetime because actually our periods are the only outward sign we have of our fertility. Mm. I mean, back to the word you know vagina, vagina. um uh, which <laughs> i definitely i definitely use the word <laughs> vagina all the time it is a bit ridiculous isn't it that you know people call it crazy names i was just sort of thinking you know coochie foof kiki nunu i mean what are these why can't we just call it what it's called what I is know. this relationship why why do we feel so revolted by a simple word that doesn't sexualize that part of, you know it's not like it's well it's really prudishness thing. isn't it you know, it's it's definitely prudishness. I mean, I think there's a, the, a strong, I mean, I'm sure it's in other cultures too, but I think the British are very prudish about, you know, talking about their anatomy. I've always sort of gone the other way. I'd like to sort of say it almost as to say, come on, you know, surely we can use this word. But I mean, I, even my own friends who I think are really intelligent, they call sort of um, going to lose stones and water, you know, Really? <laughs> <laughs> so uh, goodness knows what they call a vagina. But a vagina is also a really important part of our body as a woman. Yeah. You know, it's it's a, a part of the body that kind of, you know, allows us to have children, which is arguably the most important thing and the yeah. most lasting legacy we'll ever have. It's also a really important part of the sort of pleasurable part of our life and exciting and love and all of those, you know, having babies and falling in love are probably the two yeah. most rewarding things we'll do in our lives. And both of those, the vagina is key. Yeah. So why do we pretend it's not there and yes. not have a word for it? Yes. And why do we, because I think it all comes back to this, you know, that whole idea of women having pleasure. I think there's power in that. I think that that has been suppressed for centuries. Um, and I think we're seeing a reemergence of that sort of female energy, female power at the moment and it is making people feel uncomfortable because that has been suppressed for a long time I mean you only have to look at some of the terminology they use in in um, western medicine about like things like hysterectomy you know the, it, it comes from the word hysterical the hysterical woman we're going to cut that part of her out you know that's what hysterectomy basically means um, and it is so patronizing it's so patriarchal and so that's that is what we're dealing with at the moment is just layer upon layer and obviously women have fallen into the trap themselves because like you say we were blind you know we just went along with it and now we're sort of waking up luckily uh, I think our generation as mothers are waking up and just saying hold on a minute <laughs> you know that what have we lost through this this prudishness really and I suppose the next thing is then periods, which is another thing that sort of people feel uncomfortable about talking about. And I, I mean, I certainly felt when I was growing up that, you know, having a period was a bit shameful, a bit embarrassing. It was something you kept quiet. It certainly wasn't something you sort of shout about. And actually, when you think, I mean, the, the, the idea is that I remember at school, we used to call it the curse. Yeah. It's not a curse. It's a gift. It's if you don't have your period, you can't conceive. Yeah. I mean, why? Why was it called the curse? It just, yeah. it sort of seems to be so wrong when you actually think about, you know, 
you know, there are many women out there that don't have a period that are desperate to have a period because they desperately want to have a baby. Yeah, and, and you know, such a huge part of my work is when I sit down with a patient for the first time, I will spend 20 minutes, 30 minutes talking about her menstrual symptoms, but also her menstrual history. Um, and over the years, I've, I mean, fascinating. I, I had a, a woman years ago and she... Um, she came to me and she'd had terrible period pains all her life. And um, I asked her about the history of her periods. And she'd grown up one of seven girls um, in a Catholic country. And her, the sister before her had got pregnant at 17. And after that, the father, who was had a huge anger he would make her demonstrate every month that she had her period so i.e she wasn't pregnant um and she said after a while my my period stopped and she said i was only 16 and probably i mean it probably stopped from the pressure she said but i and my father was convinced he threw in you know went into a rage thought i was pregnant and she said and i knew that i hadn't had sex but i was convinced that i had a, a monster inside me that had made me pregnant um and that was her relationship with her period all her life her periods you know obviously she wasn't pregnant and eventually you know they came back but her period her relationship with her period was so damaged and so full of shame and fear and have you imagine thinking you have a monster inside you mm. you know so so this these stories that women keep within them um they really can go to the heart of their fertility because her relationship with the most important part of her body had was so dysfunctional from the very beginning and so much shame around it. Yeah, and I suppose, you know, from the beginning, it's important to signal to your daughter that you can, they can, she can talk to you about whatever. Yeah. But also, you know, to introduce the idea that society might well not introduce or that if you rely on school for sex education, that, you know, they're not necessarily going to introduce the idea of a period in the positive way that I think it should be introduced. Absolutely. It is not dirty or yeah. disgusting or shameful that it's an amazing and important part of us as women and we should be celebrating it rather than shying away from it or being embarrassed about it. For sure. And, um, and that the curiosity comes back in there. And, and, and I think I, for, for both my daughters, I bought them period presents when they got their first period. But actually, it's quite a funny story because I was convinced that, that my first daughter was going to start her periods. And I, so I got quite excited and I went out and bought a present. Anyway, the dog came on to heat, into heat. <laughs> <laughs> so my scent was a little bit off. <laughs> but then I was able to say to her, oh, the dog's on heat. You know, this is what a period is. And she did start quite soon after, as all we girls do. You know, <laughs> I thought you were going to say that your daughter sort of demanded that the dog get a period present too. <laughs> I love that idea, that idea of celebrating it. You're yeah. entering a new and exciting part of your life rather than sort of, you know, saying goodbye to a part of your life and, yeah. um, you know, yet another hassle that you've got to deal with. Yeah. That sort of positivity. And that's so influential. I think as a mother, if, if the first sort of conversation you have around periods is positive and grateful, that is so impactful yeah. on how they view it as opposed to sort of either not talking about it or hushing it up or letting them hear about it in the playground, often in terms that are incorrect, that might be scary, that might be, you know, not helpful. Yeah, 100%. I, mean, it, I, I think, and also, you know, I don't rely on the school to, to teach her about food. 
you know, yes, they, they teach them the basics, but that their values are going to be totally different to mine. So I want to, to you know, put my value system in there about how joyful it is. Um, so I, I think, you know, always relying on other people to do these jobs for you is wrong. I think that I think we as mothers have to do it in the way. And if you're not, if you weren't educated about it yourself and you don't understand, it's a really good opportunity for you to, to find out, you know, I've had to find out. I mean, I happen to be, <laughs> happen to know a lot about periods, but you know, there are the areas that I've had to inform myself on so that I can, can guide my daughter that you know outside of periods and I th- I think that, that we need to do that more but we should be experts you know we should I've be. had my period since I was 15 <laughs> or something like I really should be an expert on this by now but because society's told us we can't talk about it we can't ask yeah. about it and that is also really important because you don't know what's normal and not normal and I'm sure in your practice you've had women that have had abnormal periods for years but haven't realized they're abnormal because they didn't feel that because no one talks about them. absolutely and sometimes it's the first time they've ever talked about their period to anybody and actually it amazes me that that I, I had a, a patient the other day and she said I've been to three fertility specialists and not and you're the first person to ask me about my periods and the nature of my periods they might say do you have a period that's about it it stops there you know it's not like how long do you bleed for what color is the blood do you have pain how do you feel emotionally do you get blood you know the questions I ask are, are endless um, and it, you know it tells me a lot it paints a picture um, and that picture tells me a lot about how much that woman puts up with every month sometimes or the fact that she doesn't have any, a period at all and she barely noticed or, <laughs> you know, it, it tells me so much. It tells me almost everything I need to know, really. And for girls too, I mean, we all know that having your period can be quite difficult. You feel hormonal, you feel, you know, in pain sometimes. You, you're not yourself for a few days. Yeah. It's so much better that those around you know about it and know what the reason is rather than you're just being a grump or you don't like them anymore or whatever it is. It's so much more important we talk about our feelings and our yeah. hormones and our periods so that we can sort of live the best life and you know live it more easily yeah definitely it is weird that they called it the curse isn't it i know so weird i know <laughs> and really if you think about it I like know, the greatest gift awful. in life is having children so surely it's the gift it should be the gift so we rename it today yeah, let's rebrand it <laughs> you've got the gift yeah yes lucky me <laughs> And then, of course, the next conversation is to have a a conversation around sort of sex and fertility. And I think, again, so often our conversations around sex with our children are um, we're a bit squeamish about it. Mm -hmm. We don't want to have that conversation. It makes us feel uncomfortable. And I suppose that's largely because society has very much sexualized sex when actually, if you bring it back to its bare bones, you can explain it in very unsexual terms to children. So at least they know what the the correct you know what the correct vote you know what happens yeah exactly and then the message around sort of fertility and rather than saying and isn't it amazing you know you could grow a baby inside you it's you must not get pregnant at any cost well that's the message we we had I mean I think I talk about it in my TED talk I said the only the only caution we tell we had was that the uh, teenage woman you know girl pushing her pram um, you know and excluded from school and, and any sort of you know normal activity and I mean I remember growing up saying don't you know all 
costs, don't get pregnant, don't get pregnant. And so many women come to me and say, I've, for most of my life, I've been, you know, praying every month that I'm not pregnant and if they're not on the pill. And, um, and she said, now, you know, now that I want to be pregnant, I, I find I have n no understanding of my body. And um, I thought, I just thought it was going to be easy. Although that is changing because there's so much fear in society that now I feel like we've almost switched the other way, that women have so much information that they think there's going to be a problem before there is. Yeah. So. Yeah. And they're not relaxed about it, which yeah. can in itself be a problem. Yeah. I mean, going back to that sort of initial sex cycle, and we have talked about it on the podcast, but I feel really proud that I think from about age five or six, my kids knew what sex was. Yeah. We refer to it as having sex, whether it's animals or humans. Mm -hmm. And they knew what physiologically happened in the same way that they knew what happened when you, I don't know, go to the loo. It's a physiological thing and that's how you describe it. Yeah. Um, and I think it's important because you're signaling to them that you're going to be honest with them. Yeah. You know, you're, you're indulging them with the truth. Yeah. And often children don't get told the truth and often in the playground children get and someone said to me oh marina i really disagree with the fact that you do that you know because your kids are probably going around telling all the kids in the playground all about sex i'm like but you know what they're not because they're, totally they're the ones disinterested in it yeah because they know because they were like what is this and i've told them yeah. and they were like okay can we have sausages for dinner, please? Yeah, exactly. You know, they're on to the next thing. It's not a big thing. Whereas if you tell them some weird story about a stork or whatever it is, special hugs, and then you sit them down and go, okay, I've got to have a really important conversation with about you. About the birds and the bees. And I'm going, you know, I did, you know, that, that story I told you, it was actually a lie. I lied to you. Yeah. But now I'm going to tell you the truth. Suddenly they mistrust you. They wonder why you lied to them. Why is this topic shrouded in secrecy? What are you not telling me? You might have told me you've told me the truth, but how can I trust you now? Because you told me a lie before. And so this sort of insatiable curiosity and then sort of making up lies and misunderstanding of what really happens is sort of intensified by the children that Absolutely. don't know rather than the children that do know and accept it as... Well, forbidden fruit is always far more appealing. And, and that, you know, that's what that's what that is about. It's something that's hush, hush and forbidden. And it makes it sort of covert, doesn't it? And, and more interesting. Um, and I and I think that that's that's what that, I mean, I remember when my children were growing up, it was always, you know, the girl that wasn't allowed nail varnish she would stay steal it from my house and spill it all over the carpet because she did it in a really secretive way and it was she wasn't allowed it at home and so you know it kind of she messed up sort of thing so actually to have the facts I think has got to be the better way I think treat exactly as you say treat everything the same why treat that that bit differently it's it's no different from how your you know your digestive system works or and yeah. I suppose by having then that conversation early, you can instill a positivity around that women can get pregnant. Because what I see the whole time in the bump class, you know, yeah. teaching antenatal women, is that there's so much shame in their losing control of their body. Yes. And when they have their baby, they're like, oh my God, look at my body. It's a car crash. I've got a droopy tummy and droopy boobs and stretch marks and lina negra and all of these things. I'm like, yes but you've also just grown a human being. You've Incredible. turned a cluster of cells into a person that can not only live independently, but has a brain who will have a sense of humor and an imagination. I know, it's incredible. And turn into possibly someone who is a, is a you know, is, is a disruptor in life. That has all come from your body. I know. So quite frankly, if your boobs are a bit droopy <laughs> and your waist is a bit thicker, like 
in in the sort of grand scheme of things, I think you've got a great deal there. So that's what I mean by going back to that idea about value. These women are educated women, the same as the people that come to see me, but the values that we have put on being a woman are so distorted. You know, the values we have are you've got to, to you know have a career the same as a man fine you've got to have a body of a, a goddess you know you've got to be able to you know create the perfect healthy food I mean how the hell are we all supposed to fit all of that stuff in and who and who wants to be perfect anyway mm. and and I think that's a lot of that is yeah exactly as you say they're missing the point they're missing the magic I mean the awe and wonder as you say of creating a child is off the scale there's nothing that comes anywhere close to it and I think if you can again have that conversation early on and if that first conversation is I'm going to tell you about the most amazing thing that your body can do it is like magic in fact it's so magical that we don't quite understand all the different parts of it and what bits of babies are formed at different times and how they a brain is grown and if you start off at you know, telling them about this amazing thing that they as women can do that's so much better than their first you know interaction going we have a baby and then you get fat after yeah exactly. or you get incontinent after you know yeah that I just think you know ultimately it's amazing yeah but often we only realize how amazing it is after we've tried and sometimes failed to have yeah. children and that shouldn't be the case I think children I think little girls should grow up empowered by the the idea that they can do something that that only women can do and yeah it's not easy no one ever said it would be easy but wow it is the greatest privilege to be able to grow a child inside your body I think yeah for sure absolutely and um yeah, I, and, and and that's definitely what I say to my children. And, and actually, to my to be fair to my mum, my mum did always say that giving birth to you five girls was the greatest achievement of my life. And, you know, the fact that my body was able to do that. You know, my mum did actually really celebrate that. She didn't tell me anything about periods. But, you know, there was a sense of pride in in her ability to do that. So I did grow up thinking that was an incredible incredible thing and not something to be taken for granted you know fertility is precious it's really precious and I think oh don't get me all environmental but you know the damage that we've caused to mother earth to the to the to our environment is we're not separate from that and I, I think that we're doing the same to, to ourselves in a way. You know, what we do to the planet has an impact on us. It has an impact on our health. Um, and, and we have to embrace in, in Mother Earth, but we also have to embrace our bodies as well and be grateful for them and the fact that they work. Because when it goes wrong, it's awful, you know? Yeah, and, you know, once you've ruined it, you often can't get it back. No, absolutely. And, you know, I think then having that honest conversation about the kind of privilege of being able to have babies, you know, leads you nicely on to the idea that, but it is your choice and this is something you can decide, you know, and that, that then segs quite nicely into the idea of consent and consensual sex on both sides, but also the fact that you're kind of the gatekeeper to your body. So instead of, you know you know it, describing in terms like someone's going to try and invade you yes <laughs> that actually whoever you invite to be that bigger part of you 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 know you can I think that I think sort of contraception is better described in those terms in terms of empowering girls yeah. rather than 
putting them on the defensive and and making them feel that they might be violated and listen you still need to have important conversations with them and and explain you know about being safe but I think that it can be much less scary if you put them in the position of power and that will in itself make them more powerful when it comes to being able to say no or maybe or not now yeah absolutely and and um, I think that you know again that goes back to to the values if if they honor their body if they're you know if they're in touch with their body you know if they value those things then then they are going to preserve it and protect it a little bit more and 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 go enter into things you know in a more equal footing I think um, and when I talk about being fertile I, my idea of fertile sort of extends far outside just having a baby it's about you know being rich in resources being fruitful being creative and I think all of those things come into it how much a girl values herself how, how you know is she competitive with other women or is she collaborative with other women for me that that's all part of being fertile it's it's a much bigger thing than just our ability to have a baby it's it's how we are in the world how we are with other women our relationship with ourselves you know our relationship with our friends all of those things um can either feed us or be very toxic within our systems and I, I think that you know my generation we were we were really brought up almost to compete with other women yeah. and and With I shoulder think pads sharp yeah. sharp shoulders and and I, there's nothing um, sadder to me than well there's lots of sad things in the world but it makes me very sad when I see women that steal another woman's creativity and take it as her own I I feel sad for the woman that's stealing it because I feel like actually you know where's your own creativity it's so sad that you have to take that from someone else so part of what I teach my my girls about being fertile is to be authentic and be true to themselves and actually they don't have to be the same as everybody else because everybody is so different entirely different um, and and actually to to develop their own sense of identity and their own relationship with themselves because then they have much more pride in it and um, and if someone else steals some, something from them in terms of their creativity they can just create more but for the person that's always wanting what other people have that's really sad because that's a bottomless pit that never gets filled mm. so I see that as well play out in clinic you know people come women come and they they're not saying I want a baby they're just saying well that person had a baby really quickly or or you know I had my first baby at the same time as that that woman and you know and you know Jane's now got number two and I and I haven't and I'm you know I'm really jealous and I understand that but also it's we're all different you know you've got to develop your own journey and be proud and thankful about your own journey I think yeah. if, if we start comparing ourselves continually with other women um then you're on a hiding to nowhere I think I think what you were saying that sort of being kind and generous to other people but also to yourself you've yeah. talked about this idea of nourishment yeah and how nourishment is much more than on a you know what you put inside your body while that is very important it's very much about allowing yourself time and being forgiving not to be superwoman the whole time yeah. and I think there's a huge amount of pressure on women to do it I mean I was having coffee with a group of mothers in my children's class today and I felt guilty because I did that instead of going for a run but you know what? I got so much more out of sitting down with a bunch of, of friends. And we were all talking about, you know, when life isn't so easy and confiding in each other and supporting each other and sharing resources. And I sort of said to them, I said, the more 
the more I do this podcast, the more I realize that, you know, you do have to be kind to yourself. And very often it's the mother that's the last person in the family to be nourished. She's always the one making sure that everyone else is okay. Yeah. She's making sure that the food is on the table and the pee kit is in the pee bag and homework's done. And and then the last person to be nourished is is her. Yeah. Well, the martyr, you know, the the old, you know, the the old fashioned, you know, nineteen fifties martyr. I think that that there's really no place for her anymore, you know. And I think as as mothers, we're demonstrating to our daughters all the time. So if we're demonstrating that we're not valuing ourselves, if that's what we're showing her, but we're telling her that she needs to value herself, that but that's a completely mixed message. So I mean, I, I mean, I've been on a huge learning curve with this because for years I, you know, thought I was in service to everybody. You know, my patients, a very grand idea of this service that I was bringing to the world, my family. Um, and, and then a very wise friend of mine said, yeah, you know, you're doing really well. Your kids are lovely and, you know, you've done, you've done really well. She's a bit of a slave though, aren't you? And I just thought... Oh my goodness, he's so right. And I sort of dressed it up as this sort of grand thing around service because, you know, I think service is, you know, humble or whatever, <laughs> but it's not really, isn't it? It's sort of false modesty in a way. And then I just thought, God, he's, he's flipping right, you know. I am actually being, it's a modern day martyr, you know. And I, I had to really, really break through some molds. And I think it was when I was in my 40s, I just sort of thought, Actually, no, I'm not demonstrating exactly what I what I think I am. It, I'm saying all the right things, but I'm not actually demonstrating it. And I think that's very important. Things like if we demonstrate perfection to our children, you know, what is that telling them? That they're only going to be acceptable if they're perfect um, and so on and so forth. So I think, yeah, we obviously we've got to got to work on ourselves as well there is a kind of pressure on you know you see even in little children the sister often looks after the brother right even if they're twins that they're the same age yeah. the, you know so we're sort of taught really from an early age that as a girl as a woman you were in that that position of responsibility and yes it's great to be given that responsibility but at the same time I think it's really important to take time for yourself and to nourish yourself and to you know you might think having a massage is really indulgent mm. but if that helps you then it's probably the best time you spent that day absolutely I mean my the thing I always say to my patients is if you want to nourish another first you have to nourish yourself mm. and and as we're on the Mother's Day theme I think for all of those women out there who aren't mothers yet you know my message to them is learn to mother yourself be the mother you want to be to another person be that person be that mother to yourself um, first and foremost, because then you're going to create that beautiful mothering energy around you. Um, and I think, I think that's really important. You've described it as tending to the soil of your life. And I think that's such a nice mm. analogy. No one would expect a garden to keep on giving if it no. wasn't nurtured. We all know it's not going to happen. And we all know the more you nurture it, the more it gives. Yeah. You know, humans are the same. Yeah, absolutely. So tending to, to the soil of your life is obviously feeding yourself well, um, but it's sort of removing any old roots and, and things that might be in the way. So that's addressing maybe things from your past. So things from your past that might be affecting your present happiness. Um, um, we all have them, things that we need to work on. Um, and then, um, you know, putting good nutrition into the soil, tending to it, tending to the soil tenderly. I like 
like to say. Um, and, and then, yeah, and then, and then planting the seeds in the soil. And then at some point you have to sort of sit back and just watch them come to fruition, you know. And I think that's another thing we need to learn as women is, yes, you need to do the doing. Of course, you need to do the doing. You have to prepare. You have to do the preparation work. You have to, to you know, to make the home and all of that sort of thing. But then you have to sit back. And I think we find the sitting back bit really hard. You know, we're always prodding the soil, looking in the soil to see if anything's coming up. No, you have to trust at some point and you have to let go. And I think modern women find that bit really hard. And also realizing that, you know, an apple tree isn't going to fruit equally every year. There'll be good years and bad years in the same way as a woman, you know, you'll, you'll have good weeks and bad weeks and you'll have weeks and you're super efficient and really positive and, and weeks through with no other explanation where you're just not feeling quite so great or months that you'll ovulate and months that you won't ovulate months that you'll have really rubbish periods and months that actually it'll be all fine yeah and you can't really anticipate those and you can't berate it when then when it happens when it's not quite as perfect as you wanted it to be that acceptance of the bad and the more difficult times as well as the good and joyful times is it's a big part I think of, of yeah of happiness that's my love it all philosophy I call that you've got to love it all and gosh if you can do that and it's really really difficult <laughs> but if you can do that you you are winning mm. um because it it's you know we you know it's the yin and yang of life you know my Chinese medicine you know we understand energy you know and and everything does pass so things do pass. So one of my favorite expressions is, you know, just reminding myself this too shall pass. And it does, you know, you can be in the middle of an eye of the storm and you think, how am I ever going to get out of this? And then suddenly everything changes and the sun comes out, daffodils come out <laughs> and it's a totally different day. So I, I definitely, you know, coach my girls around that as well. You know, about, you know, if you are sad, allow yourself to be sad. That's okay. You know, allow yourself to grieve. I mean, when my dad died when I was 16, no one told me to grieve. They all told me, don't cry. You know, here, have a pill. You know, or they cross the road. You know, that we've talked about this before, but actually, no, have a really good cry. Grieve, you know. It would be weird if you weren't sad at this moment. So I think that's those sorts of things are important, being really honest the same way about your periods about how you're actually feeling emotionally and also it translating those sad days into positive days because if we didn't have the sad days the happy days would be infinitely less happy absolutely someone once said to me friday friday afternoon wouldn't taste half as good if you didn't have monday morning <laughs> it's, <laughs> it's really true. true every day was a saturday actually saturdays would be rubbish it's really true it's really really true and i know i remember that at school you know uh, the sense of pride i had around earning my own money you know when i first had my own money god it was so much better than any any money anyone had ever given me you know I felt so like I've earned this and you know and it was such a such a great feeling to to have that independence and and to you know to have cultivated and earned something for myself and I, and I feel the same with all of the things that we go through in life you know actually if you go through something really hard and you come out you develop resources and resilience mm. and it's the people I see in clinic that have deep resources and resilience that do better and then if they don't have those if they weren't ever taught them or if something happened in their past that, that caused some damage somewhere my job is to help them identify what 
what resources and resilience they might already have that they might not have realized. And we've all got it. Mm. It's just about tapping into it, you know. One of the things I see increasingly, again, this is why I'm teaching the bump class, is this obsession with being in control. Oh, yeah. And, you know, we, we do a class on feeding your baby and breastfeeding your baby. And so often we get class, asked the question, you know, so when my baby's six weeks old, how many mils should they be drinking at, you know, in each feed? And I'm like, I don't know. You can't tell me how many mils of water you need to drink on a Tuesday. You know, we aren't robots. We aren't machines. We're individuals. And some days you're hungrier than others. And some days you're not hungry. And some days you just want to sleep way more. Not because of anything, but just because. And I think so often you, you, you know, you're, you're, you're confined by this control. It really struck me, actually. I was listening to a great podcast um, called Love Stories, with a, uh, which is um, Dolly Alderton. And she was interviewing Stanley Tucci, who's an American actor who has had stepchildren and then five of his own children. Um, he was widowed and then he had uh, two more children. And she said, you know, how are you different father with, with the youngest children? He said, you know what I've realized in all my years of being a father to different children is that you just got to relax and let mm. it happen. Happen. and essentially he's had all the all the experience and that's what he's drawn from it and yet I think it's something that first-time parents find very difficult oh yeah I know the control thing I mean so many people come to me and they're they're completely trying to control every inch of their life and one I of the terrified that they're not <laughs> I know and uh, the one of the things I say is okay so is your control serving you now? You know, um, you know. Actually, think about all the best things that have happened in your in your life. It's often when you've let go of the control, like falling in love, for instance. I mean, that's got to be the biggest loss of control that there is. Um, and conceiving, you know, you just let your body go. Um, and but people are very wound up because I think people think that there's a right and a wrong, and exactly as you demonstrated in that, they, they think if I do this, 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 and this then I will achieve my goal. You know, they pee on the ovulation sticks. They reduce their sex life down to two or three times a month. This is so misguided because it's all under the pretense that they, or the lie that they have this enormous control. No, you don't have any control. You know, okay, the ovulation stick says that that might be the optimal day, but actually by reducing your sex life down to three times a month, you're actually reducing your chances. So actually through this need to have control, we often cause more problems. I see that all of the time. So one of my five pillars in my fertile um, program is replacing control with flexibility. So how do we meet the challenges in our life with more flexibility? You know, and know that you're going to have challenges in my life, in your life. And I say this to the girls all the time. You're going to have problems or, or, oh, I had this problem with this girl. Good. What did you learn? You know, mm. how did you navigate your way around it? Don't shy away from having problems and don't always try and fix them for your children because you actually deny them the chance to learn. And I'm seeing this actually with this current because, of course, I, I, <laughs> I get older and my patients stay about the same age. And it's probably the same with the bump class, isn't it? Yeah. So I've noticed that the, 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 probably the generation that are coming through at the moment haven't really failed at much. So I haven't really had that opportunity to feel what it feels like, not for things to be perfect. And so they're very uncomfortable with that feeling of not being perfect and things not working out. You know, they've got Well, married. and they've never lost control. And so and they're, they're terrified never lost of control. the idea. Um, and so this is a real disservice we do to our children when we don't let them fail, you know, make them have to be perfect. 
because it makes them into control freaks. And the idea that being flexible, to be, you know, nimble in life, whether it's physically or mentally. Yeah. God, that is just so much better than being yeah. able to be strong, but uh, but resolute in where you're going and nothing's, nothing is, you know, yeah. it's like that sort of, you know, the, the metal that bends is so much more resilient than yeah. the kind of one that is unable to bend, that yeah. will break. Yeah. I mean, I always say, look, see, if it, see it like an adventure. You're a pioneer. You're setting out on a journey. There's going to be obstacles along the way. How you navigate those obstacles um, is, is, is where the joy is. That's where the excitement, that's life. <laughs> that is the living. I mean, you know all about this with yours. <laughs> but, you know, it is having that pioneering spirit and, and not being afraid to fail and not being afraid to meet obstacles and not the minute that you meet an obstacle going, I'm going to control this obstacle or I'm going to go straight into fear and like, you know, this isn't going to happen. And, and that, you know, that fertile training <laughs> that I try and, teach my children it, it, it does come into play later I see it in the clinic all the time so mm. I mean I remember when I was pregnant for the very first time and I then had a miscarriage at 12 weeks you know that was so important for me because it told taught me how much I really wanted a baby yeah and before that I was so laissez-faire you know coming yeah. out of the like, do anything you can not to get pregnant got pregnant very quickly and thought, oh, look God. at me <laughs> oh yeah you know, exactly uh, which is not a healthy way to go no. into a tough time in your life you know you kind of have to want it I think yeah um, but it was such a you know it was a it was horrible having a miscarriage but at the same time it made me a much better mother it made me better prepared for pregnancy yeah and motherhood and motherhood yeah for yeah. sure so I think yeah we we do have to embrace the challenges and for sure some people you know, I've heard, every, you know, I hear everything, you know, and sometimes my jaw drops at what people have to go through. And th there is not a day that goes by where I don't sit in front of somebody and think, you are amazing. Mm -hmm. You know, this person is amazing, how they have become so resilient and, and what they've learned from it. And, you know, I mean, I learn so much from my patients every day, because we as women and, and humans, you know, we suffer, we go through a lot, but we find ways, you know, we find ways to cope. And I, I, I think that's the human spirit. And I think that's, that's what gives me a buzz, really. It strikes me too, that people, women are increasingly putting a lot of pressure on themselves. They're very critical of themselves. They dissect their personalities and their achievements, and they point out the bad. And I think, you know, it's something you've talked about, accepting every part of yourself, the good and the bad, because that's what makes you interesting and unique and multifaceted rather than being this sort of... And that's, and we've talked about perfection, but it's about that acceptance, isn't it, of, of what you might not be so wild about. Yeah, and, and in therapy, Jung therapy, they call this the shadow, you know, doing the work on the shadow. So it's accepting all aspects of ourselves, you know, those sort of broken parts of ourselves that aren't so pretty, you know, um, the bits that we don't want people to know about. And, um, yeah, it's, I think it's, a, it's about having acknowledging that they exist and I think often when we talk and I, I say this to, to my daughters a lot you know if they, she says oh this person is that and she's you know she was a bitch and she did this or she did that and I said okay well and and look at so look at the bitch in you you know because actually when you speak and you're uh, so often it's just a, a kind of projection of yourself 
So it's about, you can't really do anything about that other person. You could be not be friends with them. Um, but what you can do is you can look up for all the times when you've, you know, been critical of yourself or you've been, you know, said negative things to yourself about yourself. And I think that's a sort of far more healthy way of dealing it. So instead of always being the victim, like this person did that or this person did the other, just think, no, I'm going to own this. Like, you know, wh when do I criticize myself, you know? How often do I do that? You know, the conversations that we have with ourselves are so important because they form us, you know, and we can't get away from those. You know, you can get away from Jane, <laughs> but you can't get away from yourself. So that has got to be at the healthiest conversations that you have. I mean, I think that when I talk to my children and they're little still, you know, they're seven and nine, I really want them to believe in themselves. And I think you can be so strong if you do believe in yourself. I definitely didn't believe in myself yeah. for a very long time. And I think possibly the school system sort of taught me not to and yeah. sort of, um, how can we do that with our children? What can we, I mean, apart from having a conversation? What well, we demonstrate, I mean, really demonstrate like we were saying earlier, I think, you know, if you, for, for me, I was a people pleaser for ages, you know, I don't want my, my girls to grow up as people pleasers, but I was a people pleaser. You know, I was demonstrating that to them every day because I would put myself last and I would, you know, put other people's happiness before my own. Now, obviously part of that is nice and on the outside that looks nice but actually there's something quite inauthentic about that because I was probably doing it because a part of me wanted to be liked or wanted to be accepted or you know these are all natural things it doesn't mean to say we all need to turn into ball breakers you know but it's about um it's about not giving those mixed messages and I think it's about demonstrating and I always catch myself if there's something I want for my child want it for yourself first Make sure that it's, it's truly integrated within you first, rather than being like, oh, well, I didn't quite get this right, but so I really want it, my, <laughs> I really want them to be perfect at this. No, do it and you'll fix it in yourself first, I think is a good place to start. Mm, I think that's very good advice. <laughs> Emmy, you treat a generation of women, a lot of whom are mothers themselves, trying their hardest to be the best possible mothers. If you had one wish for your daughters, one message that would help define them as strong, happy, respected individuals, what, what do you think that would be? I think it's got to be the relationship that you have with yourself is the most re important relationship of your life. So make sure it's a healthy, good, fertile one. Perfect. Well, thank you so much. It's been so great, as <laughs> always, uh, chatting to you today. So for Mother's Day, you've got um, a great initiative going with your with your yes. book. Tell me about this. So I wanted to, to create a gift for all women, actually. And it's not just for mothers. It's for anyone who um, is a daughter or anyone who may want to be a mother one day or anyone who wants to be more fertile in the broadest sense of the world word and it's a seven day gift an ebook that will be delivered to you once you, you go to my website and you sign up for it there and you'll be delivered something every day so it's a lot of the stuff we talked about today really teaching you the nitty-gritty of your periods <laughs> um, and then it's the more um, esoteric stuff so how do we become more um, flexible and less controlling how do we keep that awe that sense of awe of wonder in the world how do we turn 
our wounds into wisdom and how do we get rid of self-limiting beliefs so it's like a little gift that will arrive every day for seven days this is via email something to read yeah, is it yeah. yeah and it will look very pretty we're designing it at the moment and um yeah and it's for all women and I really hope that it's sort of passed around woman to woman just as a, as a gift Oh, Emma, it's an amazing thing. So your website is emmacannon.co.uk. It is. Um, I'll put that link up. And then if people want to follow you on Instagram, what's your Instagram handle? It's Emma L. Cannon, C-A-N-N-O-N. Perfect. Well, thank you so much. Thank you all for listening to another episode of the Parenthood Podcast. If you're a new listener, don't forget to subscribe, rate and review us. This gives us a real boost and helps other people to find us. For more musings on parenthood or to find out what I'm up to next, you can follow me on Instagram. I'm at marina.fogel, where you can also get in touch with me and let me know if you have any great ideas for what we should record next. But in the meantime, happy Mother's Day. Thank you for listening today. And from Emma and me, goodbye. <laughs>